0: Sonic Interventions,
1: a podcast by Intervening Arts.
2: Hello and welcome to our Sonic Interventions podcast. This will be the last episode for the first season. And this will be a special episode where I would like to report from a field trip. In the summer of 2022... I traveled to Chicago for a research trip as part of my project on sonic interventions. I wanted to attend a large retrospective show called For Other More by the African-American artist Nick Cave at the Museum of Contemporary Art and, more specifically, experience the famous Sound Suits. Before going to the exhibition, I was lucky to attend an event that was actually providing information on Nick Cave's art, the event was hosted at the Dusable Black History Museum and Education Center, and it was entitled "The Power of the Party: Chicago House and Nick Cave." At the event, I could listen to a conversation panel, and there were different people who were present: Dr. Maida Teresa McNeil, DJ Laurie Branch, who is a legend in the field. And they were inviting us to think about Nick Cave and kinship with house culture, to quote their words. I also got to interview Dr. McNeil alongside with Danny Dunson, who is a curator at the DuSable Museum. And later you will hear a brief excerpt from their conversation, which was recorded on site just after the event. So maybe it has the atmosphere of, yeah, the nightlife. DJ Laurie Branch emphasized the black queer roots of house music. She spoke of making something out of nothing and traced a parallel between the house scenes repurposing of abandoned buildings back in the days and Nick Cave's contemporary use of found objects. During my stay in Chicago, I was in a part of town called Brownsville on the south side. This neighborhood is suffused with historical and contemporary sounds. It felt quiet, yet I could hear vibrations of a vibrant musical past which remained on the sidewalks in the form of signposts with a square code inviting us to look up information online. On August 28, 2022, I went to the Museum of Contemporary Art. As I walked up the stairs to reach Nick Cave's floor, I heard a grinding noise, clearly a machine. Next, I saw an object reminiscent of a car tire spinning on itself built within the structure of a home fitness bike device. The installation was created by the artist Gregory Bay as a comment on what is called grind culture and the impact of U.S. capitalism on Asian and Asian American bodies. The work was meant to flag the cycle of exhaustion in audible and visual ways. Next, I reached the Nick Cave universe. Metal garments hanging from the ceiling were first evocative visual impressions. Then I was struck by the sound suits. Frozen like the bodies in the museum scene in Janelle Monet's video Queen, the sound suits emitted the dense energy. It almost felt like someone was wearing them and they could start setting themselves in motion at any time. The silence of the sound suits made me think of the silencing of the racism issues, which the artists engaged with, or I wondered, maybe they are quiet as an invitation to pause the incessant chatter of news to stop the noise of a language and discourse that is anti-black. The work Speak Louder felt particularly powerful. Seven silvery bodies, sound suits, all built out of buttons were connected to each other. The human-like figures all shared a non-human head. A gramophone. They were both screaming and whispering at the passersby in full silence. The longer I remain in their presence, the more I feel that they were perceiving me. At times I felt as if they were holding their breath, like the victims of police violence which are a topic at the core of Nick Cave's decade-long production of these sound suits. Or maybe they were saying, listen to us, let's listen to each other. Just like the blue zebra stripe street art that I encountered on a large road downtown Chicago, saying, Listen and yell. The sound suits witness the audience as much as we witness them. You may think you're watching them, but maybe they are actually watching and mostly listening to you. Kind of like our smartphones today. We just heard an excerpt from DJ Laurie's Branch set in response to Nick Cave's art. I remember it was a festive, sunny day outside the DuSable Museum. Many participants seem older. Maybe they experienced the early days of house music. Nostalgia was hanging in the air. I also had the pleasure to record a conversation with Danny Dunson and Dr. Mida Theresa McNeil as they conversed about Nick Cave's art, house music history, and the beauty of Black culture. So in the talk, we heard that you invited us to think about Nick Cave's artwork and kinship with house culture. So I was wondering how you would define the relations between house culture and Nick Cave's work.
0: So, I mean, getting asked to write the, the essay to be in the catalog was a really great exercise in thinking about, like, what is that connection? And I think some of the things that really stood out for me was this kind of investment in... Uplifting, black culture, uh, black excellence, but also the mundane and everyday of black experience—that whole spectrum—as being really an important, like, underlying foundation in whether or not you can see it right away in McKay's work. To me, that that is firmly a part of the, the foundation of the work. And thinking about, uh, I, I watched a uh, conversation he did with uh, one of the artists from La that Naomi was in conversation with, and yeah, Nick Cave. Mm-hmm. I forget. Mm-hmm. You know, there was such in that conversation. Nona Hendrix, Nona Hendrix right? <laughs> this and uh, and one of the Demita Joe uh, dancer from Soul Train, and there was this reverence and. Respect for Black women, Black culture, Black popular culture. That, like you know, he was keeping his memories from uh, the heat that were like kind of imprinted on him from the time he was young, right? Um, and that that those were sources of inspiration for his work in many ways. And I think that, you know, house culture is about blackness <laughs> and uh, a complex of blackness, right, that is ground in kind of queer culture, but also it's like they talked about in there, like you've got, you know, your, your poorer folks who might be part of the culture, but also uh, there was a lot of innovation by young middle-class black folks and young people, right, in the creation of that culture. So that, like, that deep complexity is is found in what house music is from its very beginnings. So that's that's okay. one thing I would say that is part of that uh, kinship. And then also there is this way that okay. Um, okay. I feel like Nick is uh, thinking about past, present, future all the time, like exploring, you know, whether it's through like racial violence or other, you know, th- things that we've endured and how we revisit them in the present. And then how do we, how do we break those chains? How do we, elevate, move to something else, imagine something else as part of a future. That is at the crux of of what house is, that it is considering the past that is in the, that's in, you can find it in the music, you can find it in the way that people kind of uh, gather, that like house music parties are built off of, you know, the party structures at rent parties, Mm -hmm. these kind of black social clubs that like are, grandparents and parents were part of right that that's where membership clubs came from right taking that device and and, right and then it's also about very much so in that club space about imagining by being in your body (laughs) like you are both letting go and thinking about the challenges of the everyday and then imagining like what What's my possibility? What do I want to be? Well, to me, those are they're directly in conversation.
1: In continuation with um, the things Maida listed and she covered very well, reflecting specifically on the creation of art mm-hmm. and space mm-hmm. and how Nick specifically creates utopian worlds, worlds that don't necessarily exist but should exist and he's considering time on a continuum as you mentioned and there's not a separation of past present mm-hmm. and future so that creates a loop or a circle which is indicative of the promenade scene from the whiz mm-hmm. color is but it's also reaches back to signifying practices within African-Americans, specifically those um, uh, African-Americans, specifically referring to those blacks brought from the continent through the Atlantic slave trade and settling and being brought to the South and captured and living for hundreds of years um, under that oppression. And not even having the space or the world to create the way they would want to from language to performing arts of poetry and drama to visual arts of sculpting and painting, all of these things are ancient practices, mm-hmm. long before um, enslavement or colonialism, even or that encounter of a European encounter to mm-hmm. the African continent. But what they did here specifically through that that term, I'm, I'm troubling this with African American specificity. Mm-hmm. What they did with through those emotional retentions, because you don't they don't have a drum with them, mm-hmm. they don't have beads with them, they don't everything was brought within the mind that's what makes us humans so the most traumatic thing that happened to those four parents was what happened to the emotional state not the whip not the branding but what happens to the mind first so that trauma and how do you survive through that how do you speak if the person next to you is from several different nations over, seven different language groups over. How do you worship when there's this other God mentioned that you're not so familiar with and you're trying to relate on a spiritual or cosmological level how do you create if you're limited to only serving the master's needs what can you have for yourself so through that so many traditions were created we have the African American ring shout which was a spiritual practice which is not only something that we can see mimic itself throughout the promenade of the Wiz but also also within black Greek sorority and fraternity culture, the stepping in this Mm -hmm. and many different ways people line up and dance in a circle. There's many phrases. Will the circle be unbroken? Um, This continuum in the circle. So with the roundhouse that is laid out in a circle we're very fortunate to have that interior space to display the color is. But it's not just that we're seeing. And it starts with the blackness being a gateway for all of humanity to experience themselves. So it's about everybody through this particular lens. And that's really important because Nick and Jack want everyone to be able to access this, whatever walk of life, whatever ethnic group, whatever gender or non-gender, whatever class, or race whatever it may be you come from you can see yourself because it's a human identity so it's a restoration of bringing back what was lost or what was taken but was never lost but was attempted to be destroyed but it's just this constant no matter what someone did to destroy this constant recreating take away the drums we have the feet, the rhythms in our hands and our feet until we get drums again, and then those drums become spirituals. They become jazz. They become hip hop. They become R and B. They become house music, disco music, mm-hmm. and and all. Of, how do we do make something out of nothing? Um, because it's never actually stolen. It's just pushed to a place that pushes us to bring it forth again. Mm-hmm. So he's bringing these things forth. Jack is bringing these things forth in a way that celebrates what's always been there. So he's leading with the phrase that I I led the the curatorial essay you'll see when you walk in um, because he said this maybe a week during the install, yeah. so I had to quickly add that to the top, because I said, oh, that's good, so he <laughs> says, I said, okay, take this down, <laughs> budget line scratch, more money, <laughs> sorry, but he said something really important mm-hmm. when he said, you know, people of color have always operated on a couture level, period, and I was like, yes, period, and I was thinking about that moment, and he wasn't talking about things, that's, You know, and he wasn't talking about even things that can be tangible. He was talking about the essence of operation, the standard, no matter, as I say, within the black community, there's a high standard. Toni Morrison said that she writes about black people because she doesn't know these are her people and she doesn't know anyone whose standards are high. That does not mean a standard that is equivalent or affirming itself to a Eurocentric lens of success or materialism. But what it means is whatever you do, you can't half-step it. So I think this work in The Colorist specifically and also the work of Four Othermore Mm -hmm. and all the things that made up, beautifully laid out all sync together with this idea of a utopian place that's free from the needs to create because you've been so oppressed. But are created out of the fact that we've been so oppressed we created this world. Yeah. So it's this constant conversation this push and pull, this past present and future all at the same time and the feeling of embrace with that is something that's inexplicable and um, I think that's what you experience when you walk into that space mm-hmm. at the uh, Daniel Burnham Historic DuSable Museum Roundhouse. I will say that roundhouse was built in 1880 so it's a late 19th century piece of Chicago architecture. How However, this building, the main campus of the DuSable Museum and the Roundhouse were police stations. The Roundhouse exercised police horses in the round. And you're so you're talking about capture again, mm-hmm. for whatever means. That's a different conversation, but it's still capture. And at the end of The Wiz, there's this scene where those who were under the submission of the great Eveline, and they're in this <laughs> sweatshop, they take off, they unzip their oppressive costumes, and they sing a brand new day. Well, this is a brand new day at the Dew, as we're saying, and this is a brand new use of that particular space, reactivating it with freedom, expression, which is steeped in Blackness, Africanness as its uh, epicenter and originator in the diaspora, as the continent's children that completely disseminate all of this culture, bring it back, they yell it back at it, and it's a call and response. This is a call and in response between the MCA and the DuSable Museum, the north side and the south side, trying our best to get rid of these separations, bringing people together under the name of humanity, but also the celebration of a group of people who have created culture like none other, who often get the less credit and the less celebration, the least celebration mm-hmm. for it. And um, I think that's all I have to say about it. I think that's <laughs> enough. <laughs> what do you think? I, think that, I, mean, I, I love that roundhouse
0: space. So I'm just I am just excited to see it
1: activated more like I just all the time it it can keep going with that whole cyclical thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: thank you so much I think that was a great comment on how Nick Kay's work is an intervention into space time as you're saying the loss that actually isn't a loss and the different constructions of the space that you've been talking on and building on and just one last question to conclude so you mentioned the call and response there's this book by Kevin Kwashi, The Sovereignty of the Quiet. I don't know if you're familiar with this work. So there's some scholars who are now looking into quiet or silence as resistance. And those are things that really puzzle me because we think so much about giving a voice or needing to speak up, as you're mentioning, being, um, less people being celebrated or being featured. So I wonder, how would you comment specifically about the sound suits, When we interact with them, right, we witness them in the museum, there's maybe no sound. What is your experience of them from your specific positionality that you have?
0: I had read about them, had seen, like, video, you know, of folks uh, activating them, and then got to see, you know, in, in that kind of retrospective, to see the way that Nick has, like, you know, iterated and iterated those sound suits over the years. The thing that strikes me is... And I don't know how I'm not I don't I'm not necessarily relating this at least at the front end to like sound or silence or whatever, but just what those suits are made of, like the this found materials, everyday stuff, and the kind of craft. Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah like that you can't see it from back here but when you when you are experiencing Mm -hmm. and having this kind of relationship with it up close you're seeing the the depth and the intricate detail of that and I think about oh that's that to me feels like it it must have been a meditative practice to make you know with such detail I think there's one that has like it's not twigs, it's not I don't know something, mm-hmm. but it's like the I, I, it's barber, it's like yeah. yeah, looking at like and I see that in other things he's made, and like thinking about as a as a kind of quiet, right, like right. this meditative practice of building something like that with intention and specificity that that to me is is quite amazing, and then I would just say, in terms of like those sound suits, if I relate it back to house again, uh thinking about them as this space where in other voice might emerge by putting something on that is not your everyday, you know, self, that what, what is allowed to emerge, right, out of inhabiting that.
1: So, Thank you, you know. I think Maida uh, covered a lot with that. Um, there's this one phrase where Nick contemplated about the the fashion works which relate also to the sound pieces as a, a meditation on the spirituality of handwork and that really exactly. is a great phrase a poetic phrase to, as a synopsis of everything uh, Maida just spoke about, but it is a meditative practice, and I think maybe this is what had you a little stumped—not stumped, but wanted, made you want to think about it a little bit more before you answered it. When you said they're experienced in silence, that's a great word, but and it it troubles the the using that descriptor is it's not 100 percent accurate, but that's the only way you could just out firsthand. But I don't think they're ever experienced in silence because of that meditation of the spirituality of handwork. So what it evokes ev- it someone to do is to have their own experience and imagine it in movement. I've never seen a sound suit performance live like you. I've seen several videos. I've seen uh, talks about them. I've seen them installed throughout the nation. And, but I've never worn one. I've never seen a live. But it allows the imagination. So what's important for Nick Is that the viewers and the participants Can imagine themselves Within it, even if it's the fashion Which is why it was important to have it installed uh, So they can see themselves in it Or desire it or want it You know, so they can see themselves As a part of it So it's not limited just to His Interpretation or that performance Of whoever's wearing it or the groups of people You become a performer or a participant in it by viewing this, because you can imagine the things move, moving, you you start to think of the work and the passion. It's one of those things that really troubles and creates a tension between art and craft.
2: After interviewing these brilliant people and attending the event, The Power of the Party at Chicago House and Nick Cave, I headed to another part of town. I should say we because in fact I was traveling with my wife, dancer-choreographer Oksana Chi. On that Chicago trip, we had the pleasure to reconnect with a dancer and dance scholar called Tara Willis, who is now a curator of performance at the Museum of Contemporary Art. We had first met Tara 10 years ago in Brooklyn, New York. She invited us to attend the performance series Freedom From and Freedom To. It is an improvisation series based on pairing movement makers with musicians and sound artists. The evening opened with an introducing set by Mank Ndosi and Jane Montgomery. Find your weird, find your ancestors'
0: imaginations, mixed with a rhythm.
2: During our Chicago trip, I also had the occasion to meet again with a mentor, Dr. Nadine George Graves, whom I hadn't seen in person since the pandemic. We met in a lovely Jamaican restaurant to honor our Caribbean lineage. Dr. George Graves is a performance call and theater dramaturg who is also the head of the dance department at Northwestern University. In a way, this field trip to Chicago resonated with what Nadine calls diasporic spidering. Let's end with her words. Diasporic spidering, the multi directional process by which people of African descent define their lives, the lifelong ontological gathering of information by going out into the world and coming back to the self. Diasporic heritage survives despite the odds and, Anansi's processes of journeying, gathering, wisdom and memory, gaining insight, sharing and connecting or diasporic spiderings. I hope you enjoyed this first season of our podcast Sonic Interventions. Please look at the show notes for further information and references. Make sure to follow all of the great artists that were featured in the first episodes. We would like to extend our thanks to all of the artists and other participants in the podcast and also to Euphonica Audio Production Company for making this podcast possible. We also thank our sponsor, the German Research Society, which is supporting our research project at the Collaborative Research Center on Intervening Arts. Please stay tuned, enjoy the spring, and get ready while we are preparing Season 2 for you.
0: Sonic Interventions, a podcast by Intervening Arts.